Shalom Aleichem, Malachi Asharet, Malachi Elyon. Mi Melech, Malachi Amalachim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Do you know that tune? The tune of Shalom Aleichem. We're going to talk about this tune, the words of this tune, and why we sing this tune and its message to us today. It's Tuesday, 12.15 p.m., time for Lunch and Learn, our weekly Torah session. Let's begin with a blessing over a cup of water. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech o'elam she'akol ni'abed horei. Every week at, on Tuesday afternoon, we get on <clears throat> Facebook Live to share an hour of Torah study together. This is Lunch and Learn number 132. We're in our fourth year of studying every Tuesday, and we're getting ready <clears throat> to begin in just a few moments. Today's topic is the process of beginning the Shabbos meal on Friday nights. We begin with the song of Shalom Aleichem followed by the Kiddush over a cup of wine. We're going to talk about the origins, the some of the laws, and mainly the message of these rituals, the song, and the mitzvah of the Kiddush. As usual, we have a source sheet to help us follow along and look at the traditional sources <clears throat> to begin. Shalom Aleichem, hi Jack. Shalom Aleichem is hundreds of years old. The words of Shalom Aleichem that we sing on Friday nights is literally <clears throat> hundreds and hundreds of years old. <clears throat> the tune is not so old. The tune that we sing, Shalom Aleichem, that tune is probably uh, maybe a hundred years old or so. There are many other tunes to these words, but we'll talk about the words, not so much the tune, the importance of the words that we sing on Friday nights. As usual, today's lesson is divided into four sections. We'll talk about um, the Shalom Aleichem, who are we talking to, what are we saying, and number two, we'll move on to the message um, that is relevant to us in our lives. In our second section, move on to the Mitzvah of Kiddush, and we'll talk about why it's done over wine and all of its messages to us. Hi, Bob, and we are getting ready to begin on this post, there is a link to download or print out uh, the source sheet to follow along with English sources from Torah, from Talmud, from Midrash, or you check your email if you're on my email list for the source sheet. Are we ready? <clears throat> okay, here we go. We're going to jump in and we're going to start. <clears throat> Today will be a little bit of... Uh, Practical but spiritual, a fusing of fusion of spirituality and practicality, how to celebrate Shabbos at home in a meaningful way. Shabbos is the holy day of the week, Friday night and Saturday day. And here we are, let's study this together. Let's take a look at our first section on the source sheet titled Escorts. Who are these escorts? Let's take a look at number. One, <clears throat> number one, here we go. Peace unto you. We're going to translate the song that we sing. So it's Friday night and Friday night 
excuse me, after preparing the home for Shabbos, we make our way, usually it's especially the men, to synagogue, to shul, for evening prayers. And after prayers, we return home. And the home, hopefully, is all set up for the Shabbos meal, white tablecloth covering the table. The Shabbos candles are still glowing, and the aroma of the delicious chicken soup and all the delicacies for the Shabbos meal are... uh, coming out of the kitchen and being uh, prepared for the table. And at this moment, uh, uh, they arrive from synagogue. And the first step, the first, um, <clears throat> the beginning of the meal begins with the song Shalom Aleichem. Shalom Aleichem has four stanzas and it goes like this in English, source number one. Peace unto you, Shalom, which means peace Aleichem, peace unto you. May your coming be in peace. Bless me with peace. May your departure be in peace. Angels of peace, messengers of the Supreme King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be He. So basically most of the stanzas are the same, but the beginning is different. And the first one begins with Shalom Aleichem, peace unto you. Then we go to May your coming, Boachem, your coming should be in peace. Then we actually say Baruchuni, we tell the angels to bless us. And finally, we say, your departure should be in peace. Who are we talking to? We're talking to the angels of peace, the messengers of the supreme king of kings, God. So every Friday night, we're saying this song, this hymn, we're singing this poem, sort of, Shalom Aleichem. Who are we talking to? Which angels are we talking to? Who are these, who are these angels and why are they here uh, with us in our homes, we like to send the angels to heaven. What are the angels doing down here? Hi, Amy. We're up to source number two. We learned the song of Shalom Aleichem. Who are these angels? So we take a look at a source number two. When a person returns home from synagogue on the eve of Shabbos, this is a quote from the Zohar as well as the Talmud, that when a person returns home from synagogue on the eve of Shabbos, holy angels accompany him on each side while the divine presence hovers over them all. So the Talmud is giving us an insight into things we may have not known and the Zohar is telling us that on return from shul, from synagogue, we're not alone. There are angels accompanying us. The Talmud says two angels. The Zohar says angels. On either side we have angels and the angels are escorting us home and God, the presence, the Shekhinah, is hovering over the person, uh, the family members, and the angels. So to these angels that escort us from synagogue and come into our home with us, to them we are saying, Shalom Aleichem, peace unto you. And we are welcoming them peacefully into our home and actually asking the angels to bless us. And then we send them on their way and we say, may your departure be in peace. What is the role of these angels? Now we know who they are, but what is their role? Why do we need these angels, especially on Friday night at the beginning of Shabbos? So where else do we find angels? Let's take a look in Torah. Angels are mentioned numerous times. Let's take a look at one and we'll see what the role of angels are. We just celebrated Shavuos this past week. Just one week ago was the holiday of Shavuos. The holiday celebrating the giving of the Torah 3,333 years ago on Mount Sinai and God descended onto the mountain and told the Jewish people the Ten Commandments. What was the Jewish people's reaction to this great revelation? Let's take a look at source number three. The Torah tells us in the book of Exodus, the people saw and they trembled. 
and they stood afar. It was quite trembling to witness God saying the Ten Commandments. What does it mean they stood afar? It says Rashi uh, brings from the Talmud. The Jewish people drew back in awe and the divine angels would come and assist them to return. Each of the Ten Commandments, when they heard them, when they heard it, the Jewish people were overwhelmed. They drew back and the angels were dispatched to assist them, to bring them back to Mount Sinai. They retreated from the mountain. They were Angels were there to assist the Jewish people, to bring them back and get them ready for the next commandment. Why was that necessary? Because we see in Source 4, when the Jewish people saw at Sinai, what the Jewish people saw at Sinai, no other prophet ever saw. They were exposed to spirituality more than they could handle. Thus they retreated, only to be brought back by the angels. The Jewish people were filled with trepidation. They were overwhelmed by the great revelation at Mount Sinai. Even in future generations, the prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Yeshaya, Yechezkel, Yermiel, they all saw different visions of what goes on in the heavenly realm. But nothing could compare to the revelation at Sinai when God himself spoke face to face with the Jewish people. And therefore, the Jewish people, their souls could just not handle this great revelation and they retreated in awe. Who helped them? Who assisted them come back to God? Come back to the foot of the Mount Sinai and to listen to the Ten Commandments? The angels. The angels were God's messengers to, that's what angels mean. Angels, I believe, comes from the German word on angelos or something like that, which means messengers. God sent them on a mission to help assist the Jewish people. The, Jew the angels are more accustomed to these revelations. The angels are angels. They're closer to God and they can handle these great spiritual um, revelations. And being so, being, being the, that, that they can handle this, they're more accustomed to it, they are there to assist the Jewish people, the souls who are, I guess, not so accustomed to this, to help them um, with this great revelation. And so too it is with the day of Shabbos. Source number four. As Shabbos commences, we are introduced to a lofty level of holiness that which every Jewish soul feels. Maybe we don't feel it in our bodies always because of everything that, uh, that uh, the body uh, goes through a whole week. But... The soul, definitely the neshama, the soul feels this holiness of Shabbos. Shabbos is a holy day. God sanctified the day of Shabbos. We say it, we'll see soon. We say it in the Kiddush. And it says it in the Genesis, Vayikadesh also, God blessed the seventh day of the week and he sanctified it. There is a added level of holiness on the day of Shabbos, which every soul feels at the beginning, at sunset, at sundown, uh, at the beginning of the day of Shabbos. The soul, continuing in Source 5, can be overwhelmed by this deep, lofty state. And its natural reaction is to draw back from welcoming it. The angels escort the soul, easing it into the magnificence of Shabbos. The soul is overwhelmed. The soul may feel unworthy, undeserving of this great, lofty revelation that the soul feels of holiness on Shabbos. So it retreats. And the angels, the angels that the Talmud and the Zohar tell us about, that escort a Jew on the, uh, at the onset of Shabbos from Shul to home, 
the angels are there to assist. It is for our benefit that the angels are dispatched to help us, to help the soul. We're not talking about the body only, talking about the soul to experience, to welcome the, this, uh, this added level of holiness of Shabbos. Because well, what the soul went through all week, maybe it wasn't the holiest week for the soul, and it can have a feeling, a sense of shame. Actually, the word Shabbos, the letters of the word Shabbos, Shin, Beis, Taf, Shabbat, Shabbos, have the same letters as the Hebrew word for shame. Take a look here. Shabbos, Shabbat, means the day of rest, the holy day of Shabbos, but it has the same letters if you move the Shin and the Beis. Hi, Vicky. The Beis, Shin, Taf, spells Boshet, which actually is the word for embarrassment or shame, because the soul is somewhat overwhelmed and maybe a bit embarrassed to welcome this such this this level of Shabbos, this holy level of Shabbos, which is which it is unaccustomed to, and that is the role of the angels. Just like by Mount Sinai, when there was such a great revelation, the angels were there to assist the Jewish people. Um, to hear the Ten Commandments with this great revelation, which no ever, which no prophet as as, as uh, later witnessed, so too with Shabbos, with the great awesome level of spirituality which is present in the day of Shabbos, the angels are there to escort us and help us usher in the holy day of Shabbos. It's sort of like a wedding. Who's been to a wedding before? Well, we have a wedding coming up. Isser, my brother-in-law is getting married, and. Uh, we look forward to celebrating together in just uh, a couple of months. But at a wedding, there are, under the chuppah, under the wedding uh, canopy, you have the bride and the groom, but the Jewish custom is for the bride to be escorted by her mother and future mother-in-law, and the groom by her, his father and future father-in-law. They hold their hold, uh, arm in arm and escort them to the chuppah. And one of the ideas in Hebrew, they're called shushvinim, which is like the escorters, because... The groom and the bride, they, they were separate most of their lives. And here, they are meant to come together in such an intimate way and, and, and live, uh, live as one. It, it can be a bit embarrassing or a bit, uh, uh, maybe a lack of confidence or uh, it's just overwhelming. And the parents-in-law and the parents, which have already done this, and they've been through a wedding and they know it's not the end of the world, they are uh, there to encourage the groom, to encourage the bride, to help them form and forge this bond between them. And that's what the job of the angels is. They're escorters for our benefits. But then we welcome them in. We say, Shalom Aleichem. Thank you for being here. Thank you for assisting us. We say, you're, you're uh, coming should be in peace. We ask them to bless us. But then we right away say, after a couple of minutes, we say, We say, may your departure be in peace. We don't even welcome the angels to have a seat and enjoy the meal with us. We send them on their way. And this is a great question asked by many of the commentaries. Why are we sending away the angels so fast? But one idea, based on what we're explaining here, is actually a teaching of the great rabbi known as the Shem Mishmuel. His name was Shmuel Bornstein, a great rabbi of the previous century, Passed away in the 1920s. Uh, he was the second Sochat Shover Rebbe. Passed away uh, in Poland. Lived in Poland. And a uh, very famous rabbi. And he, and he's, he gives this explanation saying that, um, you know, the, the parents escort the groom and the bride to the, to the canopy. But after that, once, the, once the, they escort them and they assist them, then the bride and groom go into the room themselves. Then they go home that night themselves. 
It's between them. It's between the bride and the groom. Once they start you off, once they, they encourage you and they escort you, they assist you to get there at the beginning of the ceremony, but then they're on their own. Then they're all by themselves because in order for a unity to be created, it's just the bride and the groom themselves. And the same thing is Shabbos. Shabbos is the sort of a time when the bride and the groom, the bride being the Jewish people, the groom being God, our, <clears throat> our provider, are united. It's like a wedding. And the angels may start us off, but as we see in Source 6, the Shabbos meal itself is an intimate time when the bride and groom, God and the Jewish people, dine together alone. At this moment, no one else can be present, not even angels. Because this is the time for the Jewish people and God to celebrate on the holy day of Shabbos. It is a time for them to be alone. Yes, the angels escort us home from synagogue and we send them on their way after a couple of minutes saying, okay guys, thank you very much for your assistance. And now we are on our own. It's us and God. Ano umalka bilchoidohi, in the words of the Zara, is us and the king, us and God to celebrate together. That's a little bit about angels and the song of Shalom Aleichem. You know, they say for a, for a preacher, for a rabbi to uh, speak for more than half an hour, he has to be an angel himself. Or at least the listener should be angels. <clears throat> okay, hopefully today uh, we're studying together. We're not preaching. We're studying together some sources and learning more about the Shabbos experience. If you can hear me, if you can just say yes. It's hard to just talk and not hear some feedback. You know, Vicky, Amy, and Bob, whoever is listening now. And we welcome those that will be listening afterwards. Um, and once again, if we have any questions, feel free to comment below and we'll get to them towards the end of today's lesson. <clears throat> angels, angels, malochim, they are called in Hebrew. Let's move on to our second section. Now we know what to do. So we come from Shul, we say Shalom Aleichem, we know why the angels are there. We know what their purpose is. Thank you, Gary. Welcome. Let's move on. What's the lesson? Now, I don't feel the angels. I'm talking to the angels. Maybe my neshama, my soul definitely feels the angels. And it's a holy day and we need the assistance of the angels. But what is the message to me? What is something practical that I can learn from the angels? If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we studied, uh, maybe it's already a month or two ago, we studied about the Shabbos candles, all about the Shabbos candles and its message of peace. So here's another message of peace. The angels, it's all about peace. We say, peace unto you. May your coming be in peace. May your departure be in peace. Bless me with peace. The angels themselves are called Malachi, excuse me, Malachi Shalom, Angels of peace. And Shabbos is a time of peace and tranquility. What is the message of the angels for us to achieve peace between ourselves, between our family members, between our acquaintances and friends? Take a look at source number seven. What is the primary difference between an angel and a human soul. Let's not talk about the body. Yes, we have a body, but, what, what, but our essence is our soul. What's the difference between a neshama and a malach, a Jewish soul and an angel? Now, when we say an angel, we're not talking about a body with wings. We're talking about the, the spiritual elements of an angel. Sometimes angels are dispatched and come down to this world and appear as humans. Um, not necessarily with wings. They can be enclosed in a human body. Or something that seems to be a human body and looks like a human body. But what is the difference between an angel, the existence, the identity of an angel, and the identity of a neshama, of a soul? This is talked about at length in the teachings of Kabbalah, the teachings of Hasidus. But here, let's take a look at one idea which can, we can apply uh, to our life. Source number seven. Human beings, 
are multidimensional. We are not simple. We are very complex. We have very many different parts to our uh, essence, to our to our ourselves. While angels are unidimensional. They are one. There's just one <clears throat> dimension to angels. Human beings have multiple character traits. Angels are limited to only one trait and are unable to deviate from it. Human beings can use their multidimensional personalities to get along with people of all stripes. An angel, however, cannot comprehend an approach other than its own. Angels are incapable of compromise. That's in short a little bit of a difference. The difference between humans, a soul, and an angel. Angel is what it is. It is a feeling. It is a uh, trait to be kind, to be uh, punishing, to be strict. It is what it is. Each angel is exactly what it is. So a human is made up of all kinds of, ha has access and can react to every different situations in a multitude of ways. He can choose to be quiet. He can choose to react. He can choose to be passive. He can choose to be kind, to be strict. You can choose to be engaged or to be aloof. You can choose how to react to any situation. And therefore, a person can use their different dimensions to uh, keep peace. If you, someone says something that you don't like, you, don't, you can just keep quiet. You can also find common ground because a human is made up of so many different dimensions. You can, even if you're with someone who uh, thinks differently than you, but there's something that you have in common. An angel, an angel is the creation of a certain force, a certain trait, and that's what it is, and, that, and, and that's what it is, and it cannot conceal even what it is because that's what defines him. The whole definition of an angel is this force of this specific energy. So angels cannot compromise. Angels are who they are and it's hard to get along with them. And it's hard for them to get along with others. They are, they're static. They are uh, very rigid and not subject to change. That is why uh, you know, we see we see an interesting story in passage in, in source number eight. We're familiar, hopefully, with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, or Sodom and Amorah, the cities that were destroyed because of their evil ways in the times of Abraham, the times of Abraham, about thirty-eight hundred years ago. And the Torah tells us in Genesis, source number eight, the two angels arrived in Sodom. Two angels arrived. So the Midrash asks, I don't understand. One angel, we know, everybody knows this, that one angel does not carry out two commissions. One angel cannot do two separate jobs. Because if it's two separate jobs, then that's not an angel. An angel is very unique, is very specific. Cannot do two separate kind of things. And two angels do not carry out one commission. So, and you say two, you're saying that two angels arrived in Sodom. Why were they two? Each angel has its specific makeup and what it's specifically programmed for. So what's two? What's two angels arriving in Sodom? One angel can't do two different kinds of things. Rather, and two angels can't do the same thing. Because each angel has its mission. 
Rather, the angel Gavriel was sent to overthrow Sodom. And the angel Raphael was sent to rescue the high stand. And please feel free to share this post so others can benefit from the Torah that we're studying together as well. We're learning about Friday night. Shalom Aleichem. What's the message of the angels? How do angels operate? <clears throat> what does the Midrash tell us? No, both angels didn't come for the same mission because every angel is, a, is, is it's, on, it's on its own mission. It's created for its specific um, energy, whatever it's, the force that's needed at that time. So two angels didn't both come to destroy Sodom. One angel came to overthrow Sodom and one angel came to rescue Lot. These are two different kinds of character traits. These are two different kinds of energy flows from God. One is one of severity, one of strictness, to overthrow a city, to punish them, to carry out a consequence for their behavior, their evil ways of the people living there at the time. That was one angel. A different angel was dispatched and came along with the other angel, but his job was not to destroy. His job was to rescue. That was an angel of the energy of kindness, of mercy. To come rescue Lot, who was Avram's nephew, who was being rescued from Sodom because he was Avram's nephew. And the story continues that he was rescued and he hid in the mountains and so on and so forth. But that was the mission of that angel. Two different missions. And because the Sodomites, the, the locals, weren't too happy for Lot to, to leave and, and to host the angels and so on, they needed an angel to save him. So no one angel does two jobs because that would be against its, its, uh, what defines its existence. It is what a very, it is a very specific code, a very specific makeup for that thing itself. So angels have a hard time compromising. They have a hard time getting along. Each is what it is and that's what it's all about. But humans can. Humans have all different dimensions to them. They can choose to react and uh, they can be intellectual, they can be emotional, they, they, can, they can be keep peace much more easier, easily. So, but how do the angels achieve peace? We're saying the angels are all angels of peace. How are they peaceful with one another? You may have heard this song, Go Shalom Bim Ramav. That's a quote from the end of the Kaddish. Shalom Bim Ramav. God makes peace in the heavenly realms between the angels. There is peace. Who makes the peace? Not the angels themselves. The peace does not come with, from within the angels. It comes from without. From something above. Source number 10. Uh, number nine, how do we achieve peace between the angels? He who makes peace in the heavens, may he make peace for us. We say, Ose Shalom, he who makes peace in the heavens. May he make peace upon us. And of all of Israel, Amen. We say, Amen. Who makes peace? God makes peace for the angels. They don't uh, come up with uh, some common ground because they cannot do that. How is peace achieved? Continuing in Source 9, explained to us in the words of Chassidus, a lofty divine light shines upon the angels. One that is much greater than the divine source that brings them into being. This light 
causes them to completely lose all sense of selfhood and identity, which then allows them to fuse. Of course, light doesn't mean literal light. It's a euphemism for something uh, just like light opens our eyes to something that we may have not seen before. But light here is a godly energy. So how does how is peace achieved? God brings the peace on by God revealing to them, to the angels, such a lofty level, which is so beyond the level of the angels themselves. And when this level is revealed, as it's explained, uh, spelled out in source 10, when the angels become aware of something greater, this deep, lofty light, this and godly energy, which is way beyond what, any, uh, what defines them, it softens their opposition to each other. They are no longer focused on themselves and their differences. They lose their entire sense of self. It's just about they're basking in the glory of something so much greater than them. It's how they, it, it, it's, it's what unites all of them as servants, as um, beings that are there just as a result of this greater light. So God engenders the peace between them. And therefore, they can cooperate between each other because when it's about them, then they are who they are and they cannot compromise and it's hard for them to work or it's impossible for them to cooperate with something else which is different than them because they cannot change who they are. But when there is this godly level which is totally beyond them, which is revealed, then they are both, they lose their sense of their own identity because they are both like nothing. They are both equally servants of this higher, this higher um, light. So when there's a greater cause, when there is something greater than both of them, then they lose their sense of selfhood because there's something so great over here which unites them together. So it comes, the unity, the peace is achieved not from themselves but from something without. When there's something so great then in regards to this great light and this great lofty energy then all the differences between them they are they, they all fall away. They can fuse together because in, in uh, regards to this something so great they are they can cooperate. When there's something greater that unites them, then their differences fall away and seem petty. Not just that it seems petty, but because there's something so much greater of importance here. That is how peace is achieved by the angels. Who makes the peace? God. When the angels are left alone, the angels can't get, get along because each angel is, this is kindness, this is severity, this is strictness, this is this, this is that. And they are who they are. They cannot conceal who they are. And once, Ose Shalom Bim Roma, when God comes amongst them, oh, God is here, then they're all just creations of God. They're just here to bring God's energy to the world. They're not who, they're, they all feel that they are just an extension of God. And they're equally an extension of God. Yes, this may be kindness, but that's, it's not about them. It's about that they are all here for God. They're all here from God. And in that, they, are, they, they can work together. They're, they work together to do God's will. 
And the same thing is this is the lesson that when we bless the angels and we call the angels peaceful angels, angels of peace, and Shabbos is a time of peace, we can learn from the angels how to achieve peace in our lives. Source number 11. When we recite Shalom Aleichem, we remind ourselves how peace is achieved among the angels. Just as angels set aside their intractable differences and make peace when they are reminded of an overarching reality, humans can do the same to promote peace among themselves. And we think about God. And we think about that all of us, everyone in our family, our spouse, our children, and the people we work with, we are all creations of God. And we're here to make this world a better place. So then our differences fall aside because we are all extensions of God. We are here to bring God's light to the world. We are here as messengers of God. And if the angels can achieve peace, we can achieve peace. We have to just remember God. We have to bring God into our homes, into our marriages, into our family life, into our business. God is present. And when God is present, as it says in uh, Tehillim in Psalms, Shivisi Hashem, I place God Lenegdi Tamid. God is constantly in front of me. God is constantly in our lives because God, which is this great, uh, something greater, this lofty level, than all the differences that we have between ourselves. We can fuse together because it's not only about us. Yes, we have our ways or others have other ways, but we can fuse. We can compromise because God is here. We are all here for a bigger picture. We're all here for the same mission to make this world a better place, to bring awareness of godliness here in this world. We can learn from the angels to achieve peace. After we sing the Shalom Aleichem, then we move on and we internalize the message of the angels of peace. We move on to sing Eishas Chayil. We're describing the ceremony, the welcoming of the Shabbos in a Jewish home after coming home from synagogue, accompanied by the angels. We welcome the angels. We take note of the angels. We take a lesson from the peace achieved even by the angels by having God present. And we move on to sing Eishas Chayil. We take note of our spouse, of our wife, and we sing Eishas Chayil. Eishas Chayil is a chapter of the book of Mishle, the book of Proverbs, written by King Solomon, whether it was written about, it was written the praises of a woman, whether it was about his mother Bathsheba, Bathsheba, or about his great-great-grandmother Ruth, or other women. It is a um, description of a woman, of a Jewish woman praising the woman. And what better time, source number 12, we express gratitude to the lady of the house. For what is a more fitting time to sing her praises than on Friday nights after she worked tirelessly to ensure that the Shabbos is greeted in royal fashion. She cleaned the home. She took uh, time to cook and bake and prepare the home for chal with challah and soup and meat and chicken and salads and fish and prepare the home for Shabbos. And after working tirelessly all week, taking care of the home, it is a time after welcoming the angels and taking a lesson from the angels for peace, we say, okay, I'm going to praise my wife. I'm going to praise the woman of the home, the women of the home, with the song of Eishas Chayel, which means a woman of valor, which is a beautiful song, and it goes through all of the Alephes. It's 22 verses. I believe that uh, each verse starts with a letter, another letter of the Hebrew Alephet, and it goes through all of the praises how she opens her mouth with wisdom and how she's charitable and, and so on and so forth and God-fearing and beautiful. And then after singing the Eishas Chayil, 
we could uh, move on with the next uh, part of the Kiddush. There was this one woman, she said her husband treats her uh, like God. Her husband treats her like God. Really, they said? Your husband treats you like God? Yes, she said. Every night he feeds me burnt offerings. So <clears throat> hopefully your wife is not in that category. And she works hard to serve delicious food that's not burnt. And it's the time of the week to verbalize our gratitude to her. Moving on to our third section, after Shalom Aleichem, after singing Eishas Chayil, which is a tradition of hundreds of years to sing in a Jewish home on the night of Shabbos, we move on to Kiddush. What is Kiddush and how is it performed and what is its lesson to us? Let's take a look at source number 13. We just came from the holiday of Shavuos, which commemorates the day that God said the Ten Commandments. What is commandment number four? Remember the day of Shabbos to sanctify it. It's a little too quiet in here. If you have any questions or disagreements, feel free to comment below. Bob, Jack, uh, Stan, Gary, anyone listening, um, let's make some noise. Source, source number 13, Zachor, the Ten Commandments say, God says to the Jewish people, remember the Shabbos. The seventh day of the week, beginning with Friday night, remember the Shabbos to sanctify it, how to sanctify the day of Shabbos. What does that mean? Just remember the Shabbos. I know it's Shabbos. What does it mean? Tells us Maimonides, call attention to it with words of praise and sanctification. To word, to say words, to verbalize. It is a positive commandment of scriptural origin to sanctify the Shabbos day verbally. We have a mitzvah. You want to fulfill the Ten Commandments? Can't just not kill and not steal. We got to make Kiddush. We got to say and praise Shabbos. Say words that make Shabbos of the holiness of Shabbos. Talk about the holiness of Shabbos. Spelled out more in Source 14. Although the Shabbos is inherently holy, it's not holy because of what we say. It's not holy because we say it's holy. It's holy because God made it holy. It's sanctified by God. But this mitzvah requires us that we consciously and verbally acknowledge its holiness. This declaration of sanctification is known as Kiddush. Kiddush means sanctification, like the Kaddish, which is the prayer sanctifying God's name, or Kiddusha, or Kiddushin, which means to uh, betroth. A woman, that is a holy act and is a, an act of designation. That's what holiness means. It means something set apart. Something designated for a specific purpose, for a holy purpose, usually. This is Kiddush. What is the mitzvah, the biblical mitzvah, to say the holiness, to talk about, to verbalize, to declare the holiness of this day? When should we say this? Is it any time throughout the 24 hours of Shabbos? Tells us Jewish law. They didn't leave us in the dark. They told us exactly when and how this must be done. Source 15. This remembrance that the Ten Commandments say, remember the day of Shabbos, verbally, not just in our minds. This remembrance must be made at the commencement of the Shabbos or as close to the commencement of the day as is possible. So, 
in order to actually make sure we do this, our sages forbade tasting anything, even water, from the time when the obligation to recite Kiddush takes effect. So from sun, excuse me, from sundown, from sunset on Friday evening. So this week, it's in the summer, the days are very long. Candle lighting is approximately 8 o'clock this Friday, probably 8.01. Or uh, eight o'clock is candle lighting, which candle lighting is eighteen minutes before sunset, depending where you live. Here, this is talking about here in Brooklyn. Eighteen minutes before sunset is candle lighting. That means eighteen minutes later, or for a woman, once she lights the candles, it is already considered the Shabbos. From when Shabbos commences, we stop eating, we stop drinking until we make kiddush. You can make kiddush right away, or wait until it actually gets dark outside which is approximately uh, 45 minutes later or so, when three stars appear, then it's time to make Kiddush. You can make Kiddush right after you light the candles as well. You could even light candles a little bit early, not too early, probably up to uh, pending winter or summer, maybe 45 to an hour and a half early. But... And then you can make you can sort of bring in the Shabbos early. But at, once you lit the candles or once it's, the sun sets... Then it is already considered Shabbos, and we have a mitzvah. We have a mitzvah to make kiddush. We have a mitzvah to verbalize the sanctity of Shabbos. And until that mitzvah is performed, we refrain from eating and drinking. We don't want to get distracted. We start eating. We start drinking. We say alachayim. We'll get. We'll start talking. We'll start. We'll get distracted, and we might forget to make kiddush. The mitzvah of Kiddush is at the commencement of the day of Shabbos. As early as possible from when Shabbos comes in, we have a mitzvah to make Kiddush. So typically we go to shul after the candlelighting, we go to shul, evening prayers, we come home, we sing Shalom Aleichem, we sing Eish Chayel, and we make Kiddush, and then we begin the meal. What's Kiddush? Kiddush is saying a text, verbalizing uh, the holiness of Shabbos. What exactly is the text of Kiddush? There are three parts to Kiddush. Part number one is a quote of some verses of the book of Bereshus of Genesis, talking about the holiness of Shabbos. Let's take a look for a translation in source number 16. The sixth day and the heaven starts with Hebrew as Yom HaShishi. Jews don't do anything just simply. There's a whole tune. It's a whole ceremony. Yom HaShishi was the sixth day of creation and the heavens and the earth. And all their hosts, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all of the planets were completed. And God finished the seventh day, his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Well, we say it in Hebrew, but that's the English translation. We talk about... What the Torah tells us, how God finished creating the world on the end of the sixth day. And on the seventh day, he rested and he blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. The hours of Shabbos are holy. They are set aside. They are designated. It's a special time. That's Kiddush. When we say these verses, we are fulfilling the obligation of verbalizing the holiness of Shabbos. When the day comes in, we say, whew. This day is holy. That's Kiddush. To sanctify the day verbally. What's the message? What's the message of the Kiddush? Source 17. 
Although God is the creator of the universe, nature appears to be an independent entity separate from God and conceals the godly essence of the world. Yes, God created the world, but when we go to work and we work the land and we go out there, do business, nature seems to be separate from God. It conceals God. It just seems like it's just a rhythm and it just goes and goes. Actually, the word the word for he, in Hebrew for nature is teva. Hi, Naomi. Teva, teva means nature, but the word teva also uh, is etymologically linked to another Hebrew word, which means tavu, which means to sink, tevia, to drown, to to uh, something which is sunken into the ground, because nature sinks God. It conceals God. It just looks like it's nature. You don't see God constantly making the sun rise every morning and making the things grow and making children be born. It's just nature. So what's our job? Continuing in source 17, it is our task to bring God out of a state of concealment and to make his presence apparent in the world. God's role is to bring nature into being. Our role is to peel back the layers of nature, making godliness manifest in this world. God didn't want angels. He didn't want a place where his presence is very apparent. He wanted a place where he is concealed and he wants us, souls, to uncover him, to discover him, to be aware of him despite him being concealed. He's playing hide and seek with us. He hides and he wants us to seek and find him and be aware of him and to bring awareness of him to others. That's our job. And when we make, make Kiddush on Friday night, after working hard all week, and we might think that we made all that money, and we did this and we did that, we declare that God created the world in six days. He rested on the seventh day. God is the creator. He is the conductor. He is the orchestrator. He is the one that gave us the ability to do all of that. It's a message to us. We are declaring that God created the world and we are here testifying to that. To the existence of God, we are doing our mission of peeling back the layers of nature. And that's why when we say these verses, we stand up. When we say this beginning of Kiddush and the rest of Kiddush also, but especially these verses, we're standing. Why? Tells us Jewish law from the Talmud, source 18, it is desirable to stand while reciting this passage. Because with this passage, we are testifying to the creation of the world by God, and witnesses must deliver their testimony while standing. Jewish law, the Torah says, And the two witnesses must stand when bearing witness in a court to the judges. They must stand out of respect. They're doing something very important. So witnesses must stand, and when we say these verses, we are bearing witness that God is the creator, and that God is intimately involved in every aspect of, of, of running this world. Kiddush is a mitzvah. But this mitzvah, this mitzvah, <clears throat> has three parts. The first part is the passage <clears throat> of Beratius. And we say that standing. There's this one teacher I wanted to tell her students, teach them confidence. 
So all uh, she's standing in front of the classroom. Everybody's sitting at their desk. And she says, whoever thinks they're dumb should stand up. She looks around. Nobody's standing up. She says, really? Nobody thinks they're dumb. Whoever thinks they're dumb should stand up. And little Johnny in the corner stands up. And the teacher says, Johnny, you think you're dumb? He says, no, not at all. I just felt so bad seeing you stand alone at the front of the classroom. You're the only one standing up. Standing up. Okay, that was supposed to be a joke. <clears throat> if you want to be a teacher, you got to be ready for some witty comments from students. <clears throat> so we stand when we say Vayachulu. That's what it's called, Vayichulu, which is the Yom HaShishi was the sixth day, Vayichulu, when God completed His work. The second part of the Kiddush is, we say, Savri Maronon, my masters, are you ready for Kiddush? Are you ready? When we say, Baruch HaTah Hashem, Elokeinu Malach Olam, Borei Priyagaf, and we make a blessing over a cup of wine. Because this mitzvah of Kiddush, Tell us our sages should be done over while holding a cup of wine. Source number 19. The verbal remembrance of the holiness of Shabbos should be recited over a cup of wine. One who recites Kiddush must drink a cheekful of the wine from the cup. The optimum manner of fulfilling the mitzvah is for all those dining to partake of the wine. So here, till now we learned, excuse me, that there is a mitzvah to verbalize it. Well, I could verbalize it without wine. I could just say it. You're right, that's the biblical mitzvah. But the rabbis, our sages said, in order to give prominence to this mitzvah, we do it over a cup of wine. So we know that it's the beginning of the meal because we can't eat or drink before we say Kiddush. So Kiddush is said it before we eat. And we know we have to have a meal Friday night. Well, that's another topic to have a meal, challah, and, and wash for meals, another mitzvah. So Kiddush is said before the meal. And the rabbis, the sages came and said that we should say this Kiddush, we should say this declaration over a cup of wine. The simple reason is because the wine is a prominent beverage. It is a festive beverage. It is a special wine was brought on the altar, poured as the libation. Wine is very special. Wine is festive. Wine, we say, we, we say special blessings over a cup of wine. At a marriage ceremony, at, a, at the celebration following the marriage for seven days, called the Sheva Brochas, the seven blessings of, that we give to the bride and groom, is said over a cup of wine. At a bris, at a Pidyana Ben, the redeeming of the firstborn, many... Times we say it over a cup of wine, and similarly the kiddush, the kiddush, as well as havdalah, the conclusion of Shabbos that we talked about in a different lesson, <clears throat> is also said over a cup of wine. And not just it said over a cup of wine, but the one saying the kiddush drinks the wine, not just a little sip, but a cheekful. The wine, the the, the cup should be uh, we call here a uh, a becher. Becher is a Yiddish word from German. Becher means a jug, a cup. And because uh, we have to hold, have a cup of wine, when we say the Kiddush, we don't just have any cup of wine. Well, we, we do everything with, uh, with lots of fanfare and uh, dearness. We have to light candles. We get silver candlesticks. We have to put a mezuzah. We get a beautiful case. We have to buy tefillin. We get a beautiful uh, case, velvet or leather bag. Everything is done to show how we cherish the mitzvah. So we have a becher. We don't have to, but it's customary to have a silver cup to have to make the kiddush, and it should be. It doesn't have to be this big, but it has to have a couple of ounces to be able to uh, be enough. What's called the revius? I think it's uh, 
I don't know, two or three ounces. I don't know the exact. This thing is, uh, is more than that. They don't need that many ounces. Uh, but it has to be a nice sized cup. And we hold the cup in our right hand, just like this. Some people hold it like this, but according to Kabbalah, we're supposed to actually make our hands like a vessel and put our fingers around the cup. And we hold the cup when we say the, 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 the Kiddush cup, as it's known. The Kiddush cup or the Becher, the goblet. And we fill it with wine or grape juice when we say the Kiddush. But we actually have to drink. We can't just sip. We actually have to drink a, a nice amount, a cheekful, as it's called, of an ordinary person. And not every person has to make the Kiddush. Not everyone in the family. It's usually the father or somebody in the family over the age of 13 should say the, the Kiddush. And everyone listens and answers Amen. And, that, and thereby they fulfill their obligation. But what it's saying here that the optimum manner is not just that the one saying the Kiddush here is the kid uh, says the kiddush and drinks the wine, but actually everybody should drink some wine. Either uh, he, the person can, saying the kiddush, can pour a little bit from his cup, or they can have prepared their own wine, like we do at shul, or at least we used to do. Hopefully, we'll start it again into TGI, the monthly Shabbos dinner, that we pour a little in a small cup, a little bit of wine. When the rabbi makes the kiddush and drinks the wine afterwards, everybody sips a little bit of their own wine. So that is source number nineteen, telling us that this mitzvah of kiddush. The biblical mitzvah verbalizing the sanctity of Shabbos should be said over a cup of wine, and that cup of wine should uh, uh, we should drink, and uh, at least a cheekful. Number twenty. Let's say a deeper reason why specifically over wine. Takes us back five thousand seven hundred eighty-one years ago, the times of Adam and Eve, the first day of Adam and Eve's life. Adam and Chava was a Friday. And Friday afternoon tells us the Talmud, the ninth hour in source 20, he was commanded not to eat from the tree. When was Adam commanded not to eat from the tree of knowledge, the forbidden fruit? It was the ninth hour. That was already afternoon. And the tenth hour he sinned. He couldn't hold himself back for one hour. The tenth hour, which is getting close to the twelfth hour, which is the end of the day and the commencement of Shabbos, that's when he sinned. So it was late Friday afternoon when the sin took place. What exactly was the forbidden fruit? I know we touched upon it in previous times, but here's an opinion, or more than one opinion, brought in the Talmud as well as in the Midrash. The tree from which Adam ate, Rabbi Meir says, it was a vine. The fruit was grapes. As nothing brings wailing and trouble upon man, even today, other than wine. Just like then, wine brought all of the consequences as a result of the sin. So wine brought a, brought a trouble upon man, and so to today, people uh, drink. Unfortunately, uh, accidents happen, and people do things out of control, because once a person drinks wine, they are not fully in control of what they are doing, and therefore... Um, Trouble can come upon men. So he says, Rabbi Meir, and the Midrash is also Rabbi Yehuda, which say that it was actually grapes. So grapes involved, uh, brought on, or involved in the sin. That reminds us of the sin. We rectify the sin when we make a blessing and use grape wine for a mitzvah around the same time that the sin occurred. Imagine that. The sin occurred late Friday afternoon. And... Friday afternoon or, or Friday evening when we're making Kiddush, we're taking wine and instead of using it for a sin, doing what God didn't want, we're using it for a mitzvah. We're using it to declare over it while holding this wine the mitzvah of Kiddush, that God created the world and we're bringing an awareness to God. What an amazing thing. It's a rectification. That's one idea that's brought 
why specifically we use wine for this mitzvah of Shabbos. Let's look at something even deeper. The Talmud tells us, Nichnas yayin, yotza soid. When there's an intake, when wine comes in, what's the result? Yotza soid. Translated in Source 21. When wine enters, secrets emerge. If you want to find out, you want to be privy to some information, get someone a little tipsy, give them some wine to drink, and you'll have an easier time, be much smoother getting information out of them. The more one drinks, the more secrets one will spill. A person feels more free. They are not so um, guarded. Once they have some alcohol, they have some wine. The Talmud tells that. Nichnas yayin, drink some wine. Yatsasoid. If I'm not mistaken, the, the Samson, the prophet, his wife Delilah, Delilah, gave him some wine to drink, and that's how she got the secret out of his strength. And that led to his uh, uh, you know, death eventually by the Philistines. But wine. When a person drinks wine, they are not guarded and information can come. So wine is associated with secrets emerging. And that is connected to Kiddush. Wine is appropriate for Kiddush because the point of Kiddush is to reveal the secret inner holiness that is inherent in all of nature. We're talking about God at Kiddush. We're talking about God created the world and not just He created years ago, but He is the current creator of the world and orchestrator of everything that's happening, creating everything that's happening in this world. We are declaring that. We're making an awareness to God. And that's a secret because it doesn't, God is not very apparent. Always. It just looks like nature is just rolling. Day in, day out. So if that's what, the verb, uh, what we're verbalizing, the message we're sharing with the world and with our family is something, some sort of secret, something that is not so noticeable. So we say that over wine because wine has that quality of bringing out secrets. And it's just amazing, though, the Hebrew language is not a man-made language. I'm talking about ancient Hebrew, Lashon Kodesh, the holy tongue, the, the, the language of the Torah. The words are inherently connected to what they describe, what they, the, what they um, and different words are connected to each other. It's an, it's an amazing language. Once, uh, a year and a half ago, we had a class about Hebrew and the Hebrew language. It's just amazing. And here we see how... Wine and secrets are linked to one another, tells us the Talmud, source number 23. The numerical value of the Hebrew word for wine and secret are both 70. Okay, what's the Hebrew word for wine? Yayin. Gefen, Boripia Gefen is grapes, but wine, which comes from grapes, is Yayin. Three Hebrew letters. Yud, Yud, Nun. Every letter has a gematria, a numerical value. Yud is 10. Yud is 10. Nun is 50. 50 plus 10 plus 10 is 70. So yayin, which is wine, the Hebrew word for wine equals 70. What's the Hebrew word for secret? Sod. Samach is 60. Vav is 6. Dalit is 4. 6 and 4 is 10. Plus 60 is 70. Wine. The word for wine is yayin. The word for secret is sod. And both of these words equal 70. And if you count the amount of words in the Kiddush, there is 70 words. This is lots of secrets. 
And number 70 is very uh, much connected to, to, to Kiddush because through wine, which wine has the quality of bringing out secrets, Kiddush is to tell the secrets of the holiness that's inherent in this world. God is the creator and we're here to reveal that, to make an awareness of that. And when we're aware of that, and the following week will hopefully be aligned to that awareness that we are sharing with our family and guests. Hi, Mark. Let's move on to source number 23. So that's the second part of the Kiddush. After saying the verses of creation, how God sanctified this day and declaring verbally the holiness of Shabbos, the second part is the bracha, the blessing, Bore Priya Guffin. Interesting that some have a custom when we say Savimaranan, before we make the blessing over the wine, we say, is everybody ready? Are we ready for Kiddush? And, and some people answer, L'chaim! And then the one making Kiddush will go on to say the blessing for the wine. Why do they say L'chaim? Because L'chaim means to life. When Adam, the first man, drank wine, or the juice of wine, and grapes, he was not doing the right thing, and his, the consequence was death. Well, eventually, he was going to live forever, and he was told by God, as a result of the sin, he will not live forever. He brought death into the world. And many other times, wine is associated with the opposite of life. And here, we're trying to rectify that by using wine for mitzvah. So we say, we're about to make the blessing over the wine. Everyone says, L'chaim, to life. Not our custom, but many have this custom. That's a nice custom. Finally, the third part of the Kiddush is the blessing. We say, a blessing of Kiddush. What is the blessing? Source number 23. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has hallowed us with his commandments. He made us holy, made us sanctified by giving us a chance to fulfill his commandment, his mitzvahs. He has desired us and has given us in love and goodwill his holy Shabbos as a heritage. In remembrance of the work of creation, the first of the holy festivals. We go on to conclude the blessing. We talk about the special gift of Shabbos that God gifted us one day of the week, a holy day, His gift. And that is the third and final part of the Kiddush. After saying that blessing, we sit down. And we drink the cup of wine and we give, give out to those that don't have or, or whoever else is present, drinks and sips a little bit of wine. That is the mitzvah of Kiddush. We'll conclude with source number 24. Whoever says the benediction and sanctification over the wine on the eve of Shabbos, his days will be increased in this world and in the world to come. The Midrash tells us that teaching of Rabbi Eliezer. Kiddush is a special mitzvah, and it's not just for men, it's for women as well. Typically, it's the man of the home, the father that makes the Kiddush, but if for whatever reason, there is no father present, uh, a boy over bar mitzvah, or a woman can make the Kiddush, and if there's no men, the woman makes it for herself. It's a mitzvah for women as well, and... This is a special mitzvah. The mitzvah of, of Kiddush has special segulas. It is a blessing for specific things. We know different mitzvahs are a segula. They are, um, uh, I don't know what the word is in English. It's like a blessing uh, for a specific need or a specific area. For example, mezuzah, it brings us security and protection. Um, we learned Shabbos candles brings peace. 
and Kiddush is special for eyesight. Talmud tells us that somebody has an issue with their eyes through Kiddush, through make, being careful and being meticulous with the recitation of Kiddush, verbalizing the holiness of Shabbos, especially over wine, it is beneficial for one's eyesight. So if somebody had it, would have an issue with their eyes, something the Rebbe would suggest and advise that they should make Kiddush, make, be careful with the mitzvah of Kiddush, or make Kiddush themselves, and not, not hear it from somebody else, because if somebody can make it themselves, they, they better to do it on their own, instead of hearing it from somebody else. So uh, that's the specialty of the mitzvah of Kiddush. And when we start the Shabbos with Kiddush, what follows is the Shabbos meal, and that puts us in the right atmosphere to celebrate this holy and special day of Shabbos. So if you're looking to get your family a gift, you can go to a Judaica store and order a becher, a Kiddush goblet, have a nice beautiful cup, and there are lots more details that go into uh, what kind of wine and, and the cup should be filled and, and uh, different details about, about the cup and the wine. But uh, that's uh, beyond the scope of today's lesson. But t- try it. Try making Kiddush and you'll see how beautiful it is. Best is to say it in, e- in Hebrew, but you can read it in English as well. If you need any help with that, please feel free to... Uh, Reach out. Okay, if there's any comments or questions, feel free to post it. I see Gary. Uh, common practice to arrange prayer with alphabet. Yeah, we're talking about the Ashes Chayil. Very good. Not everybody notices that, but the alphabet, Aleph Beis Gimel, Dalit Hevav, until Tuf and Suf, 22 letters. Um, <clears throat> it sort of comprises all, it, it's like a completion. You want to praise God, we use every kind of Letter. We start the sentence with any every every letter of the alphabet. So it's like we covered it all. It shows on something complete. So there are certain prayers like the Ashrei prayer. Ashrei Yoshrei Ashrei starts with Aleph, and then we say Bechol Yom Beis Bechol Yom. Then we say Godol Hashem. We start with a Gimel, and so on. And same thing Eishes Chayil because the praises of the woman of the home are very important. We need to get every praise we can in there. We start with Ashes Chayil, <clears throat> we start with an Aleph, woman of valor. Then we say, Batach Balev Baila, her husband's heart uh, trusted her, Beis Batach. Then we say, Gimolasu Tov, Velora, she does good and, and uh, not evil, and so on. We go according to the Aleph. I think actually one letter might be missing there, uh, which is um, maybe the Nun. But uh, otherwise, most of the Hebrew letters are there. All right, that's uh, for today's lesson of Shalom Aleichem, prayer and Kiddush. We learned that when we come home from synagogue, we sing Shalom Aleichem to welcome the angels that are escorting us. Why are the angels necessary? Just like at the giving of the Torah, which was such a great revelation, the angels were there to help the Jews uh, and assist them to internalize and experience this great revelation of God at Mount Sinai. So too, Shabbos is such a holy time for the soul. The soul needs an escort. And the angels are there to assist our souls every Shabbos. But then they depart. We send them on their way because during the mealtime, it's us and God, just like a bride and groom. I have nobody else there. It's just them two alone. We learned a lesson from the angels. How do angels achieve peace? Even though they are very rigid and very static, they, they just are who they are and don't have different dimensions to them like human souls, 
And the way they get together is Ose Shalom, God himself engenders peace between them because they unite when there is something so much more greater and so much more loftier than them that they both have in common. And similarly, we can take a lesson that as humans, we can put our differences aside by looking that we are both trying to achieve something greater. Whether it's a husband and a wife, they may have differences, but we're both here to build a family. We both have common interests. and We're both here to do what God wants from us. And when God is present in a marriage, when God is present in a relationship, and we can have peace between ourselves because it's not about us. It's about a greater picture. It's about a greater, uh, greater um, mission that we are all here as servants of God. Then we spoke about the mitzvah, verbalizing the holiness of Shabbos and over a cup of wine. Why? Because wine is prominent. Because wine rectifies the whole sin of, the, of Adam which we are, we're all part of that sin because Adam was the first soul. We might say, oh, I didn't sin. Why do I have to rectify his sin? Because Adam was called a neshama kolis, a general soul. He was the first soul which encompassed all future souls. And, and uh, we were part of that. So we got to have a part in the rectification. And finally, wine has to do with secrets. And Kiddush is about revealing the secret behind creation, that God is the creator and that is the message of Kiddush and Shabbos. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And see you next week, Tuesday, God willing, 12.15 for our next lesson. <clears throat> if you have any uh, topic that you want us to cover, feel free to let me know so we can be prepared for next Tuesday. Zai gesund and share the message.